Welcome to the Pencils and Lipstick Podcast, a weekly podcast for writers. Grab a cup of coffee, perhaps some paper and pen, and enjoy an interview with an author, a chat with a writing tool creator, perhaps a conversation with an editor or other publishing expert, as well as Kat's thoughts on writing and her own creative journey. You'll laugh, you'll cry, well, hopefully not actually cry, but you will probably learn something. And I hope you'll be inspired to write because as I always say, you have a story, you should write it down. This is Pencils and Lipstick. Hello, everyone. Welcome to episode 129 of the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. This podcast has gone out on May 2nd, 2022, but today it is April 29th as I record this. I have with me a guest today. Her name is Rhonda Douglas. If you are anywhere in the literary area, field, online verse, you will have heard of Rhonda Douglas. She is a short story writer, a poet. She is a book coach. She has her master's in fine arts and creative writing. I've heard her speak in many places. I love listening to her speak about writing, about the art of writing, about poetry. So we will get into all of those things, all the things that she's done and will be doing in the near future. If you love the show, and I can see that the love is growing because the pencils and lipstick has gone up in the charts. It's interesting because I don't normally check the charts because, well, there isn't a whole lot you can do about it, right? <laughs> so I don't usually check them, but I got sent an email from something I'm signed up for, and it told me about you know where I was on the Apple podcast charts. And so I curiosity got the best of me. I looked it up, and it's interesting because podcasts on the craft of writing are still under the subcategory of books, along with podcasts that are more like book clubs. So it's an interesting group. I don't think the category makes much sense. You know, if you're looking for a book club sort of podcast, you're probably not going to want to come here. If you want to hear more about the craft and how writers find their way through the craft and things that they've learned along with their books, then you might like this show. But I just found that interesting. Thank you so much for your guys' support. I really appreciate you and all the different countries um, where you listen to the show. Um, you could support the show by subscribing to it on the app that you like the most, reviewing it on that app so other listeners of that app can find the Pencils and Lipstick podcast. And giving a review is just, it's fun to hear back from you. And of course, share the podcast with anyone who's looking for a, a writing podcast or just something to, you know, keep them busy as they take their morning walk. You can also support the show at patreon.com forward slash pencils underscore lipstick. If you support the show, um, you can start out at $3 a month. If you support it at $5 and above, I will shout out your book on the show. I haven't done a whole lot over there at Patreon. I am trying to get there, but you will, you know, there are some coupons over there for my courses and for my books. As I move a bit into trying to sell mostly from my website, um, I'm not quite there yet, but that is the direction that I will be moving. At Patreon, if you're a supporter of Pencils and Lipstick, you'll be getting exclusive coupons on things. So tomorrow... As I record this is my first story clarity workshop. Sorry, that just sort of like I transitioned really quickly there. <laughs> but <laughs> but thank you all to for being supporters of the show and patrons of the show. So tomorrow is the first story clarity workshop. I'm really excited. I have so many notes that I'm I'm almost thinking I might need to have like a 4-hour workshop. <laughs> so I'm trying to parse them down a bit so that I talk less and the the people who attend it talk more. It is a workshop. It's an interactive time. I want people to see the value in being able to work out their story aloud. We're going to talk about characters, mostly characters, about the what-if statement, about the background of the characters that really brings the story together. 
And I think it's really going to benefit people as, as the exercises benefited me a few months ago when I was kind of stuck in the story that I was writing. And even on the story, so I, I'm writing two stories at the moment. I know that I said that I would stick to one. I really do know that. But I started out just sort of outlining, you know, getting sort of the background of the characters on my historical fiction novel, the, I wanted to say replay, but that's not it. The, <laughs> the second book after stepping across the desert, it's, it, I, I don't know if it's really called a series. It, it tells the story of Dowser, Kristoff's friend. So I had never planned to make a series, but I really like Dowser. I really like his character. I think he's fun. And, you know, he's the kind of man that doesn't take too much seriously. And so I wanted to figure out a way where I could get him married. <laughs> so it's going to be a historical fiction romance. It's going to be set between Spain and England. And I had sort of been thinking of that and working that out. And as I you know, jotted down the backgrounds of the characters and their backstory and their misbeliefs and all that, I just started getting antsy and I just wanted to write. So I started writing. <laughs> and also because... I needed some time to think about my contemporary fiction, which, you know, still doesn't have a name. The The one where the character's name is Tread, and we're definitely going to have to change that. So thank you all, side note, thank you all who have messaged me with different names, uh, different options for names. I know I said I was going to go with a T. I might go with Clayton, which is <laughs> like completely, you know, starts with a C. But I will let you know when I when I decide that. But anyway, I needed a break on that story because I just I needed a minute to think to sort of ground myself for what I wanted the middle, you know, the middle kind of top of the arc to be. So I started writing, and yeah, now I have like ten thousand words, and I'm excited about that book, and now I'm again excited about Tread's book, and you know, that's sort of how I how I roll. I don't know. There's something wrong with me. I can't I can't stick to one book. So. That is sort of my writing news. <laughs> so I'm excited about the Story Clarity Workshop. I think it's going to help those who come. It's pretty. It pretty much filled up. So I only opened up five slots, and we have four filled. So I'm excited about that. It's you know purposely small to keep it just a a nice, pleasant space for people to be able to share and have enough time for everyone everyone to share about their story. So. Next week, I'll be letting you guys know how that went and when the next one will be. So the other thing I wanted to talk to you guys about is as we, you know, you'll listen to Rhonda and Rhonda and I talk about it a bit, but I want to ask you if you've taken the time to decide or think about what success in writing means to you. I know a lot of people talk about this. It kind of comes, you know, ebbs and flows. It becomes popular. It sort of recedes. This has always been something that I've looked at, and I have to say that the definition of success for writing has really changed probably like every year that I'm a writer. So first, I want to say that it's completely fine. <laughs> Even your goals as a writer can change, but I think it's important to to realize that even if you aren't ready to publish, but you just have an urge to write, you have a story to tell, whether it's fiction or nonfiction, you, you're a writer. I consider you a writer. And I think most people I work with would consider you a writer. And you deserve the time to, to get words down on the page. And I think sometimes for me, success in writing is just being able to maybe write a couple hundred words a day. I have some higher goals, um, some monetary type goals that will mark, you know, a certain level of success, um, some publication goals that in my mind will mark a different level of success. You know, so there's kind of layers to what success means for us. I think that you have to be very careful, especially in the indie world, there are genres in which you can reach the 100,000 a year, or people like to say six figures a year, within the first one or two years of it. Um, I just listened to a podcast today, and 
caught myself sort of, you know, as as she talked about hitting 100,000 in her first year. And to be fair, she talked about all the planning that went into it, but she specifically chose a genre which she really thought was going to take off. And she, you know, guesstimated correctly. It really took off. So there are different ways to write. There are different genres to write in. And I think the level of success, especially when you're speaking monetarily, has to be adjusted for whatever genre that is. So, you know, if you write romance and you market well, while it's an inundated field, if you market well and do your research well, and you're willing to write in the niche genre that is probably a little bit more up and coming, you could probably hit 100,000 fairly quickly. That's not to say that it will happen overnight or without a lot of work. It, it still includes a lot of work. It includes a lot of research. It includes marketing. It includes selling. But it's doable. I think suspense is getting there. It might not be reaching six figures, but I think you could probably get a full-time salary with suspense, maybe a couple fantasies. But you know, (laughs) there are lots of other genres that you aren't necessarily going to make that much money in. Or I'm not, uh, you know, I almost said because the readership is not that wide. I don't think it's that. I think it's trickier to market in. And the readership, it's not that it's not wide, it isn't as voracious in reading. Now, the other part of the problem with romance writers is that they give a lot away for free, a lot. And I've heard a couple of romance writers starting to really be frustrated by that because writing a book, even if you don't like romance, writing a book to the best of your ability takes time and effort and I was going to say like sweat and tears, it's not easy. And so, you know, feeling like you have to give a lot away for free or that you can't sell it at a higher price, you know, brings it brings some frustration. But just keep in mind, every time you hear another author speaking, what they did, giving steps, you know, whether it's me or someone else, keep in mind what genre they're in and adjust accordingly to your own expectations and what you thought was success before you listened to that person. And, you know, it's not, again, it's not bad to have a different sense or idea of what success is. I mean, a hundred thousand a year on book sales is in my book success. (laughs) Like That is definitely a layer of success that I would love to attain. And I, I do think it's possible. I've seen it, obviously, you know, people, people have done it. So obviously it's possible. So, you know, not to knock that. I mean, I think every single person is worthy of being paid for their art. I hear the romance writers on giving away so much for free or at such a low price because really when you spend 99 cents on a book, the author's getting about 30 cents of it. So just keeping that in mind. Of course, they're trying to sell to a larger audience, but you know, 30 cents and they still have to pay for all their marketing. So they're kind of having that frustration there, but whatever genre you are in, it's always good to listen to authors from all different genres, but just, you know, before you go ahead and do exactly what they did, make sure that you adjust for the genre that they are in compared to the genre that you are in. And regardless of all that, regardless of how well other authors are doing, your life is different from theirs. You know, we all have our unique lives and situations. So I do think it's also important that Outside of the monetary, you know, or the long-term goals or ideas of success, to have the day-to-day success and the yearly definition of success and the sort of different layers of it. I mean, just this this year when I started participating in some contests, I got to the second level on two contests and I one second prize in one of them. So that already is like a level of success that I was shooting for. You know, I think that I'm, you know, it's higher up than it was at the beginning of the year or last year. So that's exciting to me. You know, I haven't yet won a contest. I haven't yet really sent them out 
you know, I've sent out two, but you know, I will start sending my short stories out. And that will also mark a level of success for me where somebody wants to put it into their online magazine or their literary magazine. You know, they don't pay much. Sometimes they don't pay anything. But, you know, for me personally, that will mark a sort of level of success. It's almost like an onion, you know, like a one of those layers. You peel back a different definition of success. So just keep that in mind. I don't, I don't know if you're somebody who likes to write things down, you write it down, you know, it's always good to write goals down, but I think it's always good to, to understand what your idea of success is so as to not be swayed by other people's definitions, if that makes sense. So you can let me know what your definition of success is. I am on Twitter, despite all the mayhem over there at pencils and lipstick all, all written out. I'm also on Instagram, catcaldwell.author and pencils and lipstick all, all spelled out. I always give my author handle. Sorry guys. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. And before we get into the interview with Rhonda, I think you're really going to enjoy it. So I just want to let you know that as you're listening to this, it is May 2nd, which means that the creative writing community is open. And we have already the next six months lined up. We are looking at six months lined up for expert chats. We are adding in feedback hours monthly. We're going to have some book blurb work done. We're going to um, look at book brush again. We're going to have Nick Thacker back into the group talking specifically about newsletters and using newsletters in 2022. I'm going to have Jesse Turner coming in and helping us with just mindset and, you know, centering ourselves in our work. We're going to have Tiffany Clark Harrison is going to work with us. Jay Thorne's going to do a workshop. Yeah, we're going to have tons of people. It's going to be fun. And that's all on top of our 20 hours of sprints or co-writing sessions, however you want to call them, a week, our marketing sessions every Friday, our just get-togethers where we chat and check in with each other, our private Slack community. We have lots going on over there. So if you are looking for a writing community, if you're looking to you know, develop that writing habit, if success to you means you know developing a daily or maybe even a couple times a week writing habit, success means possibly just learning from others or being in a in a group where it's other writers and they understand the trials of being a writer, check out the creative writing community. You can check it out for two weeks for free. And you can always, if it's not your thing, you can cancel beforehand. If you pay for six months, it, you actually only pay five months or there's a month to month payment. It is only $47 a month and you get tons of support and encouragement and you'll get a lot of words written no matter how many sprints you come to. So I encourage you to find a writing group. It is a really wonderful way to navigate this life of writing. But now let's get into the interview with Rhonda Douglas. Rhonda Douglas is an award-winning Canadian poet, fiction writer, and writing mentor. She's the author of Welcome to the Circus, published by Freehand Books, 2015. How to Love a Lonely Man, published by Apartment 9 Press, 2013. And Some Days I Think I Know Things, The Cassandra Poems, published by Signature Editions, 2008. Her writing has been published across Canada and has won awards from the Malahat Review, Arc Poetry Magazine, Prairie Fire, and Room Magazine, among others. In 2012, Rhonda received her MFA in Creative Writing from the University of British Columbia. Rhonda lives in Ottawa, Ontario with her Cocker Spaniel, Mr. Darcy. Publishers Weekly said her short fiction collection, Welcome to the Circus, bubbles with originality and daring, and is an exhilarating read. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Pencils and Lipstick. Today, I'm very excited to have Rhonda Douglas with me. She's a Canadian short story author, and she also helps us get those short stories out into the world and teaches writers about writing. So thank you, Rhonda, for coming on and talking with us today. Thanks for having me. I'm so excited to be here. I'm very excited to have you here because 
for those of us who like writing short stories, your name is well known. <laughs> At least I know you and all my friends know you. So. <laughs> Thanks, That's the world, right? <laughs> your a great way to start the day. <laughs> yeah. So could you just tell us a little bit about where you are from and mm-hmm. um, then we'll get into how you got into writing. Yeah, sure. So I'm originally from Newfoundland, which if anyone read the shipping news is that place. Um, But I've lived in Ottawa, Canada now since I came here to go to university. Okay. And um, and that was a while ago. So I've mostly lived most of my adult life in Ottawa, Canada, Um, but I'm originally from a small fishing village in rural Newfoundland. Oh my goodness. So yeah. did you, are you one of the writers that got started early? You knew like you liked mm. books, you wanted to start writing or how did that, how did you get I into mean, it? I mean, I was one of those book crazy kids, like, you know, Bobsy twins, you yes. know, in kindergarten kind of reader. And so I've always been book obsessed. And then I can kind of put it to, I think I was about nine years old, eight or nine. And it was, you know, we had one of those assignments at school, right? And okay. Uh, write something about something. I don't I don't even know what the assignment was, but I wrote something about my brother. My brother and I never really got on all that well, especially when we were super young, right? And so I wrote this little essay, you know, about, um, and it's like half a page in my like, just learning how to write script about my brother and how I loved him, but he really bugged me. And I got a gold star. You know, and my mom has saved that. It's it, she's got like really? a scrapbook of stuff. You oh, know, that's in the awesome. Yeah, but that's the first thing I can remember. Sort of, you know, you get that pat on the head and yeah. and, the, and the coveted gold star, and I think that's what did me in. My dad was an English teacher, so that probably okay. didn't help. And then I was just book crazy. So like Bobsy Twins, Trixie Belden, gosh, Nancy Drew, of course, Hardy Boys. When I ran out of Nancy Drew, yeah. <laughs> You know, all that. So, and then, and then I discovered Anne of Green Gables and as a redhead, that was, you know, that was transformative really like that. I still think that secretly I'm Anne of Green Gables. Yes. (laughs) So, um, (laughs) I just talked to my newsletter about how that was my favorite. That was my first box set. Right. It was. Yeah. You know, loved it from Anna Green Gables all the way through to, you know, Anna Bevan Lee. And so I, I think that's probably where I realized, oh, this is a thing, you know, like Mm -hmm. people do this, this is a way of being in the world. And so I was writing from definitely early teens. And then in my, in my mid teens, like junior high, I won a poetry contest and, and then I, you know, I started winning other little things like oh you can do this and you know they'll take you for a fancy dinner and you can win five hundred dollars and you know that's a lot of money yeah I know right like at the time this is we're talking the mid 80s so that was like that was real cash I'd take 500 right now for (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah true so yeah and also I think at the same time so that there was a a poem that won that award but Mm -hmm. at the same time my grand my grandfather was dying and I oh. wrote a poem for him and took it to the hospital and read it to him. And I just, I can still remember how moved he was. Like, mm. you know, that was really, I think really a big moment in my life to realize like how much writing can convey and the power of writing. And right. so I was definitely writing poetry a lot in my teens. And some of it was so bad. Like I, I have a journal that I've saved. Me too. <laughs> I'm terrified. Like I'm going to have to burn it before I die. I'm terrified that someone's going to find it. It's all like bad, bad, bad poetry about boys. Very you know? angsty. <laughs> so angsty. Oh, and it rhymes. Oh, <laughs> oh it's great. I, love, yeah. I, I don't know why, but there was a section of our class. I think it was sophomore year in which they use structure. And now that I'm older and they were like, yeah, you know, you can do it in a different like structure on the page. And so it was like in a shape. Yeah. Write a poem about a tree, but shape it like a tree. Yes. I have like spirals and (laughs) triangles, you know, and stair steps and things. And it's very funny. I like Did you keep them? Like, do you have your old? I have them. I have flipped through it, but I have not read. I have not read it. And 
Yes. If any were, I can't bring myself to burn it though. <laughs> so I actually used it once in a short story. So I was, I got, got I started really doing short stories in my twenties. And then in my thirties, I did a master's of fine arts and the woman I was working with, I was writing a short story about basically about an angsty teenager who, who also writes yeah. that idea from anyway. And so my mentor said like, Ooh, do you have it? Like you mentioned the bad poetry. Do you have like any bad poetry you could put in here? I was like, do I? <laughs> I got lots. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> I love that idea. Actually, That's really good. <laughs> you can do that. So when you, you're writing poetry, and I think a lot of people these days, I mean, I, I have interviewed a couple poets, but it seems like a hard thing to get into and to make a living out of. I think oh. we still have that, that mindset. We don't really read it anymore. Right. I mean, as a society. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. Yeah. It's a very obscure art form now. Like it's, it's like meeting someone who says, oh yeah, I do opera. Like it, it, it's, Yes, very obscure, more so, but it's so rewarding, like at the level of the word, if you're someone who loves words, the economy that's required in poetry, I think is really great training for, for editing a short story, for even working with a novel and working at the line level. And, you know, you want to have fresh verbs and fresh nouns and, you know, write things that no one's seen before. Yeah. Poetry, right? Like, I think it's really good training. Yes. Yeah. And I I think it's a great way um, to even explore your own feelings. Like what are emotions? Mm -hmm. We don't, we're not really taught that. (laughs) We're like angry. He shrugged. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And also observing the world, like, Mm. you know, the, the world of the poem is the world of the image and we're so rushed. We don't slow down to observe the world. And so if you don't do that, how are you going to find the way to describe the look that crosses your main character's face? Yeah. You know, just that fleeting look that goes across their face in a conversation that they're having. Like, so poetry also, I think, is a really good way of observing the world around you. And that's, I think that's probably, you know, the language play and then the observing, the fine observing both in terms of what I'm thinking and feeling, but also what's happening around me and in, in much finer detail mm. than I ordinarily would. Uh, for me, that's what poetry gives me when, when I don't get a good poem out of it. Like why do it if you're not right. able to like write the next great poem. Um, and I hope to write one really, really good poem before I die. God knows I'm writing enough of them that you know, if, if volume can do it, <laughs> but, but even without that, I, I think the practice of poetry yeah. for me, it's almost, I, I would say it's almost a spiritual practice as well, just because it requires me to slow down, be still, do that observing, um, the, the space from which I write poetry. And this always feels a little woo woo to me. And I, I don't mean it to sound that way, but like the space from which I write poetry is a very different space from the space from which I write fiction. Mm, yeah. I, I can so. sit down in the morning. I could I could get off this with you and and go and write some work on some fiction. I couldn't get off this with you and go work on poetry. I right. would have to be still for a while. I would have to read some poetry. I, I have to settle my being. Mm-hmm. in a way that I, that for some reason I don't with fiction. That's true. Weird. That's true. I'm, I'm reading a book. I'm actually, I'm actually reading it in French, so I can't, I can't read. I, I don't know what the name is in English, but it's written in the fifties. Um, and the way that they play with language, the way that the writer plays with language, let me see. Yeah. It's Carlos. Carlos Saffron. So anyway, <laughs> not well known in the, in the yeah. West, but the way that he plays with language, you can tell that the writers in the past read, not only read a lot. So we can tell writers these days, read, you know, read books, but they read poetry. They read in yes. a way that yeah. they can yeah. play with words and it's, and it's not overwhelming. Like there are some classics where, you know, we, we remember being a 15 year old and being like, I have no idea what's going on. in this." I book. don't know what that <laughs> sentence was, yeah. but okay. You know, 
it, it's not just tons of adjectives. It's like you said, it's, it's mm-hmm. the ability to say, you know, what is moving in their eyes more than he shrugged or she squinted or he cl- yeah. I'm trying to think of all the tropes I go, I, I fall into. And then I have yeah. to go back and edit them out. Like, right. What is that sound yet that you make when you're like, Oh, I don't know. <laughs> you don't want to. Yeah, exactly. It's very clear that they studied this more than just read it, you know, that it yeah. stuck with them. Um, yeah. And poetry for me is a very, um, it's an ongoing practice. So I'm, I'm always trying to stay immersed in poetry mm-hmm. and writing poetry, even if let's say like, I just finished the draft of a novel and I'm, so I'm taking a break before I, I jump in to revise it. I don't really take a poetry break in the same way. Mm-hmm. I'm always engaged in poetry and, and I feel like I'm constantly learning constantly all the time and I just want to learn more and do more with it and that's true for for other areas of writing as well but I don't know there's just something about poetry and I think some of it is that the stakes are so freaking low like you think about being an author generally right but but with poetry like there's it's only other poets who actually really read poetry some people go to it for inspiration but Mm -hmm. a very small group that you're talking to, like your audience is always going to be tiny. You're not going to, there's zero pressure to make a living. Zero. <laughs> like I'm not wondering how my book is selling on Amazon, you know, like, like marketing for poetry. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, there's a lot of the pressure that, you yeah. know, that comes with being a writer is, is not there with poetry and you can just engage with the art form for the sake of the art form oh, that's in nice. a way that it can, you can still do that. Of course you can still do that with fiction and nonfiction, but but the other stuff is harder to bat away, you know, mm-hmm. with fiction and nonfiction. I find that that the idea of the market is hard to to escape. Yeah. Whereas with poetry, I, I think it's a little easier. Yeah, yeah. I think it's interesting too. I I interviewed um, her name is Lenati, and she's from South Africa, and she writes poetry. And I think it's a really interesting and fairly accessible you don't have to read a full novel but you can get a taste of different cultures how they how they write poetry what they observe in the world um because it's different from our western eyes from you know and yeah where what they're and i love that i just love it yeah yeah and i mean all of our myths way back when we put them all to rhythm right because that's how we could remember them orally um so i would i would always encourage people to to pick up something new, but I do think you make a good point about practicing that there's no pressure, but you can even get off, you know, just keeping the journal. You don't have to publish it. <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, to get to my first book of poetry, I wrote, so there's about 60 poems in that book. Oh, wow. I had about 120 and deleted, like I, I probably deleted twice what's in the book. I haven't deleted them. They're like, they're somewhere. Right. They're probably on like, you know, they're up in the clouds somewhere. Um, hopefully no one will see them ever, but they're there, you know, and I have the practice of writing them. So yeah, not everything needs to be published. Sometimes you're just, you can use poetry as a way to process something, as Mm -hmm. a way to learn, as a way to observe. Doesn't all, and I think that can be true for, I mean, the novel is a little different because you spend so So much much time time. on a big project, so much time. Right. So like it hurts when that doesn't get published. Yeah. Deleting half of that novel. Yeah. I feel that way about short stories though. Like you can write a short story that doesn't get published. You're just playing around. How did you get into short story writing? I think it's funny because I don't think I was reading a lot of short stories. I had read short stories. Mm -hmm. But it was more through school. So I decided to do an English literature degree after, you know, flapping around with other things. I think at one point I wanted to do politics or whatever. I don't know. Oh, thank um, God. <laughs> so I finally settled on an English literature degree and um, ended up, you know, reading some short stories through that and uh-huh. just fell in love with the forms. That would okay. have been in my mid-20s. Okay. And started reading more. And then a lot of the workshops that I was able to take, I would say in my late 20s, I began taking workshops, writing workshops where I could. And a lot of them focused on the short story because, okay. you know, it's easy to work in a, let's say over the period of an eight week writing workshop, you know, you can work on one or two stories in a okay. way that's harder to 
to do with a novel. So, and I didn't, I also was a single mother at the time. And so like I had no time. Right. So there was no way that a novel, it it just didn't feel doable to me. Right. Um, But short stories, and I just kind of got obsessed. I just, and I started writing a lot of them. I was in a writing group that was for a while. It's not the case now. We've been going for a long time in different iterations, but they were all, everyone was working on short stories. Okay. So just felt natural. Like, you know, we'd meet once a month and go through each other's short stories. Oh, fine. That was so great. So, so it just kind of evolved that way. And I got into a graduate diploma program with someone who, uh, her name is Elizabeth Harbour, and she'd had like short stories in The New Yorker, and she had had um, award-winning collections. And so mm-hmm. I worked with her on some short stories. And that was a bit of a, that was a bit of a shock. <laughs> you know, the first time like a real writer work with someone yes. who really knows the form and you send them your precious little short stories and they tell you how boring they are. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, that was a bit of a shock. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So what is it about short stories? Um, Because I I do think just like poetry, short stories used to be that way that every writer who was serious wrote them, at least whether they practiced them. Um, You can go back and find short stories by well-known classic authors. You know, they would publish them in the newspaper. Like they had to make a living, right? So they, they they were writing all the time. And we've, we seem to have really left that behind. I mean, I, right. I, I don't see a lot of people spending the time writing short stories. So what is it about short stories you think that is worth looking into and maybe spending some time with? I mean, I, I love the power, the emotional power of a short story in 10, 12, 14 pages, mm-hmm. like how it can just gut you or illuminate some aspect of life in such a short amount of time. And my favorite short story writers, you know, do that. Mm -hmm. So uh, that's what I love about it. So I'm always trying to figure out with the form, what is it about that, that, you know, that, that such a short compressed space and amount of writing can have that impact on a reader. And I think the thing about it having kind of gone out of vogue, definitely if you're still, if you, if you folks, writers who consider themselves literary writers mm-hmm. who have aspirations to be considered great, to mm-hmm. hit the canon or win the Booker or the Nobel Prize or the Pulitzer, you know, those writers, writers who have, who, who want to be engaged in the conversation of so-called serious literature are still looking at short stories mm-hmm. yes. are still writing short stories. So it's not quite as obscure as the poet, <laughs> but it's right. getting there. And, you know, the writers that back in the day, like in the day of Hemingway and Dorothy Parker and, uh, you know, folks who were publishing either in newspapers or in journals, you know, the New Yorker back when, they were able to live, right? Because you'd, mm-hmm. you'd publish a short story in the New Yorker and you'd, you'd get two or $3,000. And that was a lot of money. It's still right. a lot of money today. But outside of a very few spaces, like paid Yorker, anymore. <laughs> there's nowhere else to make that kind of money. So right. you can't make a living on either poetry or short stories. If you look at any of the great poetry and short story practitioners today, they are not making a living with their writing. Like if, right. if if the forms you love are poetry and short stories, you you release the idea of writing. You can teach it and make a living, but you can't write it and make a living. That's such um, a shame. The yeah. last short story that I published in a literary magazine, you know, top-notch Canadian award-winning literary magazine, for which I won a prize, three hundred dollars to publish it. No, the prize wow. was you know it's a literary contest. The prizes are usually you know a thousand dollars, fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> So in the end, that makes it worth it if you win a prize, but not many of us are going to win a prize. It's hard enough to get published right. in those literary mags. Right. So you can't make a living with it anymore. So I think, um, and the readership has shrunk mm. as well. So so I think that's why people don't spend the time on it. But um, I just, I love the form. And I, I love also the elasticity of the form. Like 
there's there's the Alice Monroe short story. Yeah. And there's the George Saunders short story. Right. And then, you know, they're 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 different and they're doing different things. I mean, I arguably those guys have something in common, but but they're every writer's able to do something different with the form. And so I just feel like it's a really exciting form for that reason, in terms of you know what's possible to achieve. And also if it fails. Like, let's say you're working on a short story and you just can't get it to go. Oh, well, like it took you a weekend of compressed yes. time, you know, like it wasn't nine. It wasn't a novel. Yeah. yeah. So, and also I think for, for writers generally, because they're quick, relatively quick and mm-hmm. easy to write, you can write a lot of them. And what you get is a lot of practice writing scenes. Yep. And if you don't know how to write a scene properly, you are not going to be able to successfully write a novel. That is so true. That is very true. I think one of the hardest things about a short story is the ending. Mm. I I think, and some of my fellow writers, short story writers, you know, they don't struggle with that. For me personally, it is the ending that leaves you satisfied. Yeah. And just like in that floating space of like yeah. with that character standing there with them, how, because it's not, it doesn't have to be the end of a novel. <laughs> like it's not the like everything has come together and we have to explain it. it it's, I, I really feel it's just like you're in this sort of space of like, okay, I like the end of this. Of course, you know that the life goes on of this character, right. whether fictional or non-fictional. Yeah. And, and so I find that I, I struggle with that personally. Mm. Um, and I think, I th- it's I think like- the, the difference, you know, the short story ending mm-hmm. is an open ending. Like the best yeah. short stories leave you. You've had an experience. Mm-hmm. This experience is now over. Whatever happened in the story has come to some form of resolution. But there's a sense of openness to that ending. Mm-hmm. Whereas... With the novel, and particularly, I think the commercial novel for sure. Mm-hmm. You know, you're tying up all those threads. Right. God forbid somebody finds a thread in the next thing you know, they're on Goodreads about this omen thread. You know, and you're like, I'm going to write another one. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> My mother still can't forgive Maria Duenas for the time in between because she left the mother behind. <laughs> oh, that's hard. For her as a reader, she can't stand it. You know. It's so funny. It's so funny how, um, you know, readers, because I'm a reader and I, I feel like I'm pretty forgiving, but I definitely have like thrown books across the room. Yes, we do. I have left <laughs> books in the garbage at Heathrow. Like, yep. I, like I've, I've had really strong reactions, but I've never gone online to complain about it. Yeah. Like, and I've never like, dm to the author to tell them what a shitty book it was or and and that kind of stuff happens way more now i i feel unfortunately yeah yeah especially for indie authors i think Mm. get more of that like they get the nasty goodreads review Mm -hmm. they get you know people talking trash in Facebook groups or whatever. Yeah. I think the reviewers have made a business now of it, a a platform of themselves. And so now they really think that they're, who are those guys that would review movies, you know, in the eighties and nineties, those two men, anyway, Ebert Ebert and Siskel and Ebert. Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. So you know how they used to rip it apart. Yeah, but you know who came to mind is those two guys from the Muppets sitting in the balcony. Who said that? That's your Goodreads reviewers right there. Yes, yeah. the Muppets who are trying to. Uh, yeah, they're they're pretty harsh, especially because these days you have to really go looking for teaching, right? Like storytelling. The thing I love about writing and learning um, how to write better, the short story, is it's about storytelling. Yeah, like, and I feel like that is a, a an art form that we're kind of not really focused on, even even as millions of books come out every year. It's it's actual storytelling. There is a difference, and you might not be able to articulate when you, when you read it, throw the book in the trash. But really, what's wrong with it is is the storytelling. The there's story something that doesn't exactly. go. Mm-hmm. Or I I would say there's the story that doesn't work, and then there's the inauthentic author where I, I, I don't believe you 
Like you are trying to put words down on paper that say, because anytime, I think every author is doing this. The minute you pick up a pen, you're putting words on paper. You're saying, this is what life is like. And I, if I don't believe you and I think you're faking it, Mm -hmm. like this isn't truly your view of what life is like and you're just faking it. I I have no patience for that. Like life's too short. I don't have time for, for an inauthentic author. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah, Because that's an emotional response too, right? Like I'm, I'm not going to write, spend my time writing a review on there, but there's something like, I don't, yeah, I can see that. Now I can, I can list the books in my head. (laughs) Right. We won't name names, but we know. (laughs) I will, I I won't say that too, you know, it depends on the reader, but yeah. But with short storytelling, what I think, like, I think what you said is very true. Like how to write a scene, how to like follow through this sort of story arc, something's happening, you know, the Mm -hmm. character is, is responding. And I also think it's a way that we might, we might consider going back to this because there are so many things happening in the world and it's so emotional, right? There, we know so much stuff yeah. and instead of processing through it or exploring a way to respond to it through a character, um, maybe put my shoes in somebody, you know, on this side, what would they see the world as? We just go to Twitter, <laughs> yeah. like rant right. and rave. Yeah. But I think it's a really interesting practice to bring, you know, the a character through something and and might even open our minds to like, oh, what would it be like to be, you know, bombed mm-hmm. over here in this country and nobody mm-hmm. cares, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. but we care. Yeah. You know, just like exploring this or, you know, putting your your <laughs> yourself in your neighbor's shoes if you don't get along with them. I I wrote a short story about my reaction with I couldn't get my vacuum to work and the chain supply and all this stuff, you know, it's just like, it's kind of silly, but it was a way to, to process through like, what were, what was I thinking? Like I almost ended up with three vacuums because I didn't have a piece, (laughs) but that was my thought process. Yeah. yeah. What is wrong with you cat? But, you know, going through and like writing that through out was like, huh, this is interesting. My thought process on (laughs) on this. And, And I feel like every story does that. Every story says, you know, here's a human having an experience or here's mm-hmm. a group of humans having an experience. Yeah. And it invites us into that and it expands our view of, of humanity. It expands our, our mm-hmm. view of, of life. So, and in a short story, it's it's not a huge commitment, right? You can sit down right. and read in half an hour, put it aside, process it and come back and pick up the book and read the next one when you're ready. So. Right, right. I I agree. I would love for indie authors to continue. And I, I think the workshops might be coming back, possibly, yeah. hopefully, hopefully, yeah. <laughs> hopefully in person. I'm in person workshop in Manchester, Ooh. England. Oh, I'm there for my day job and I, I had some students in the UK. So I said, hey, why don't we just do it? Well, like vaccinated and all the things, but let's just get together and do it in person. It was fantastic. It was like summer camp. It was so great. Oh, nice. <laughs> yeah. And I hope they come back soon too. Yeah. Yeah. Seeing humans. And yes. So you, you have published your short stories and then you, do you have a novel out or is this the first novel that's coming out? I am just finished the draft of a historical mystery that I started at the start of the pandemic. Oh my goodness. So you did write during the pandemic. Oh yeah. No, I did. Okay. Yeah, I definitely did. So that, so that I've just finished and I'm taking a break and then I've got to dive in and revise Mm -hmm. it because it's a holy mess, like every first draft. So my two published books are a book of poetry and a book of short stories. And then I have another manuscript of poetry I'm just finishing and the novel that I just, um, the draft that I just finished that I need to revise. So yeah, you're very busy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, So between between um, writing, you also teach. Like you were just over in Manchester. Did, yeah. What? How did you get into teaching writers? So I was very active. I I made a a, a conscious and a very intentional choice to mm-hmm. build up a literary life. So okay. 
I looked around in my community and, you know, I saw there were, you know, there were reading series and, you know, where you can go and people come in from out of town and they read, there are writers festivals. And so I volunteered and I ran a reading series and all of that. And I just, you know, really became entrenched in a very intentional way in my local writing community. Okay. And so as a result of that, I guess, and, and of being known, and I was a poetry editor for Canada's National Poetry Magazine, Art Poetry Magazine, oh, okay. for a while. And so uh, someone at the local library reached out to me and said, would you do a workshop, a poetry workshop? And nice. I said, sure. Okay. That sounds fun. I think there was a small honorarium, you know, and then they did all the promotion and you just kind of showed up and did it. This was probably 15 years ago now. And mm-hmm. I had never taught until that point. I had, oh, okay, you know, I had certainly done lots of workshops and in my day job, I deliver workshops all the time. I work in international development. I do capacity building. Okay. So like workshops, I can pull Easy. a workshop together in a couple of hours. Workshops is almost like a second language for me. But I had never done a creative writing workshop. And okay. I did that one for the library. And I loved it so much. I, I could not. I remember after thinking, like, why didn't nobody tell me how much fun this was to wow. engage with other writers yeah. in very specific ways about their work? Why yes. didn't nobody say anything? Because all I had heard at that point is a lot of folks who taught creative writing did so to make a living. And all they did was complain. Like, I can't tell you how many people I knew who were teaching creative writing. And all they did was complain about their students. And I was like, wait, this isn't that. And then I realized it's because my students are not college students. They're not university students. They're not. Yeah, they're not. Credit. They're adults paying out of their own pocket, choosing yeah. to show up. Because they're committed right. to their craft. That's right. a they're totally curious, different yeah. person, right? Right. So I teach those folks all day long. Like I <laughs> yes. like I love it. I just love it. So a couple of years ago, I decided, this is maybe three years ago, I decided to create my own course. And this actually came out of my experience with my master's program as well. So okay. I did my master's of fine arts in creative writing at the University of British Columbia. And you know, you're in workshops with people who are so good, so yeah. good. And you read their short stories and their and their novel excerpts, and you just realize, wow. And yeah. then we graduate, and a couple of years go by, and I graduated in 2011. Okay. And then I realized that. Only I would say only about 30% of folks who finished the MFA, maybe a little higher, but not by much, published a book, went on and published a book. And when I looked at it, and I looked at all the writers I knew who I thought, frankly, were more talented than I was, like better writers than I was. And I looked at the folks who had not finished, whose stories I loved, and they were all women. Mm. And there's something about women not finishing books that I was really interested in. So I created a Mm -hmm. program called First Book Finish that basically works with women to get you through the mindset aspects as well Mm -hmm. as the craft aspects of finishing that first book. Right. Because so many women just don't finish. They start lots, (laughs) Mm -hmm. but then they don't finish. And there's all kinds of reasons for that. Right. But yeah, it, it really, really struck me. So that's, that's the thing I'm most interested in. And that's why I teach is to help women finish books and also have writing lives that they writing lives that they love. Like okay. why be miserable in your writing life? <laughs> like yes. It's not a badge of honor, you know, to like right. oh, writing so hard and it doesn't yes. have to be like that. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting what you say about mindset because that will affect so many things because if, even if you finish your book, if you don't think it's worth the time you put into it because your mindset is still stuck in, yep. you know, it's not good enough, it, whatever, you know, we deal, we put everyone first, yes. <laughs> you know, yes. everyone else is first. Yeah. It's easier for us to to promote a friend's work than it is our own. Yeah. It, so all of, your mindset is so important. It's everything. To, Honestly, it's, it's everything. everything. 
You you just yeah. You can you can write the best scenes in the world. You can have mm-hmm. the greatest grasp of storytelling. If you can't get your mindset right to finish the damn thing, no mm-hmm. one will ever know. Right. You know, like right. it's 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 everything. I really can't yeah. say enough about how important it is. So, so I really wanted to create something in my teaching that that addressed the mindset piece of it as well as as well as the craft, you know, we all want to, we writers love to talk about craft, right? Like I say, come, let's, let's talk about dialogue. Yes. Let's talk about dialogue, but perfectionism, self-doubt, self-sabotage. Why are you putting everybody's first ahead of your writing dreams? What's that about? Like, you know, like we don't, that's a little harder. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of pressure these days. I would say, even if you finish your book, if you don't feel like publishing it, it's still a huge feat oh, to have finished. Oh, yeah. It's just, it's huge. It doesn't have to be, you don't have to go along with all of the things, right. <laughs> you know, the, yeah. and bringing out a novel every month. <laughs> I have yeah. an issue. Yeah, I'm in some writing groups where I just lurk that are indie authors who are trying to make a living from their writing. And that is a, you know, I think it's really important for everyone to have their own definition of success. Uh What is Uh going to be a rich and rewarding writing life for you? When you're on your deathbed and you look back at your life, what do you want to have have experienced? And that's going to be different for everyone. And some readers, some writers are happy to to be on the treadmill of Uh getting out a book this month, getting out a book next month you know, uh, working six months ahead of my Christmas novella, you know, all that stuff. Um, yep. They're happy to do it. And that's the writing life that they want. Other people, you know, they're going to be happy to have written the poem for their grandfather. Yep. Yes. And I think what mindset is everything on that one. It, it Like you said, it's it's knowing what kind of author you are, of what kind of writer you are, what will make you happy setting those success goals. Um, whether it's finishing, publishing, whatever that is. Yeah. And then not falling prey. <laughs> yeah, not <laughs> you know? falling prey. Like really standing in your own self and 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 knowing yourself and, and standing in it. But at the same time, I think they're not being rigid about it for, you know, mm. either. Like I can think of a time in my sure. writing life, probably a decade ago. Well, I was a serious writer. I was a very serious writer. I was writing serious things about, you know, serious subjects. And that just there's a point at which that just got boring because what was mm-hmm. happening is I was reading all these really great books on the side, you know, like I had my my literary fiction, you know, who won the booker this year. Okay, I bought that one. That one's sitting in a pile. Meanwhile, I'm burning through this mystery series, you know, like yeah. as a reader. I'm like, <laughs> ooh, let me read more of that. So I think that self-publishing and you know, indie publishing has completely transformed what's possible for a writer's mm-hmm. life. And that's exciting. Like it's a bit of it is crazy, right? Like if you feel like you're on the treadmill and it's the book a month in order to, you know, be the breadwinner for your family and you can make that work and that's what you want to do. Mm -hmm. Amen, sister, like go for it. But I think the great thing that it's done is opened it up. Like I've got a few students now who are at the querying stage. So they're Mm -hmm. researching agents and sending queries out to agents. And they're going to yes. try the traditional publishing route. And then if that yep. doesn't work, they can still get their book out into the world. Yes. You that's know? What's and they, great about it. Yes. Yeah. They might even do better. They certainly will have more control, right? Like they'll get the cover yes. they want. And, but um, so there's just, it's so, everything is possible now. And in mm-hmm. that way, it's almost more important to know yourself yeah. and to know mm-hmm. what is going to make for a rich and rewarding writing life that you can create for yourself and sustain over time. Yes. And I think it going back to mindset too, like you said, they're, they're doing the querying phase. That's tough. That's a hard phase. <laughs> That's very yeah. tough. Um, I went indie because I lived over in France and I kept querying and it, it got overwhelming, honestly. And, you know, back in 2010, there was like writersdigest.com. Right, right. <laughs> and not, I, much was, yeah. <laughs> not much else. Not much else. I just, you know, didn't stumble onto any of the forums. But 
what indie writing, you're going to get the Goodreads reviewers. So your mindsets of renewing, you know, and having those friends, that community. I mean, I got this scathing review I had sent in a book and, and I had, I really had to step back and remember, oh no, you actually like, there are people who like this. Right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. And that's the thing too. Like there's a book for everyone. Like there is a book yeah. in the world for everyone. And there's someone mm-hmm. who needs the book that you're writing right now. Yes. Um, I do believe that, but, but also yes. we're not for everyone. And so there are going to yes. be people who hate your book and leave it in a trash can in Heathrow. Like yes. that, the, the book that I left in the trash can in Heathrow won a Pulitzer, won a national oh. book award. And I just thought like, nope, what? it was not for me. No, I'm not naming it, but it was but like, it was not for me. I was not the reader. Hopefully someone yes. rescued it from the trash can and it found its reader, but it annoyed me. Right. Right. So I'm not that reader. Now I didn't go trash on Goodreads because karma mm-hmm. baby, but um, yes, but that, that is so true that art is objective and mm-hmm. there's something for everyone and you will not be for everyone. And so don't beat yourself up when, you know, five people on Amazon or Goodreads, you know, misread. Because often also those reviews are like, did you read it? Because that's yes. what's going on. So, um, you know, don't, uh, don't get caught up in the yeah. stupid. And the, the more you know yourself and what really matters for you. Yes the easier that is not to get caught up in the stupid. Right. Right. And that's, that's why I do like to encourage people to find those groups. Like yeah. you have, you know, if you want to, because th- those are going to be friends for life. They're going to encourage you. They're, oh, they've been through it. They're yeah. writers. So important, you know, build you back up and, yeah. and, you know, throughout the process, learn how to take critiques and reviews and all, of that. all that stuff. All of that. All and also, <laughs> like often writers get agents through other writer friends. True. Right. Or they true, true. learn, you know, uh, somebody says, oh, um, uh, you know, I was talking to so-and-so and they run a writing festival and they're looking for this kind of book. So I mentioned yours, you know, like it's a small little community and we have to help each other out. Yes. Yes. And when you have the right mindset, you, you, you want to do that, right? Yeah, you totally. not only value your friend, but you value yourself and, yeah. um, so I, I love that. Do you have your um, workshop? Is it open all the time or are there certain times throughout the year? Do people need to get on a, a mailing list to find out about it? First book finish, I do a couple times a year. And okay. um, so people can get on the waiting list for that um, because it'll be later this year. I, I don't have okay. a firm date yet. That that particular program, I give so much to it that I really can mm-hmm. only run it a couple of times a year because I right. it takes like a chunk of my heart every time. And then, so it's not just a video course. It is like live. Yeah, no, it's, it's, you're working it's with deep. People. It's like live weekly coaching okay. critiques. It's, you know, it's the full meal deal. I have another program called the writer's flow studio. So this okay. is a monthly membership for writers who want to go from like a state of fear and anxiety to a mm-hmm. state of flow. And so it Ooh, tends like to be that. writers who, you know, have struggled with mindset who, and, and have found it getting in the way of consistent practice. And so we do like live monthly mindset masterclasses. We do community right. writing sessions. We have visiting writers come in to talk about craft. So that's open okay. all the time. And you can find more information about that on my website at resilientwriters.com. Resilientwriters.com. Okay. I'll have that rondadouglas.com you have, and then I'll have resilientwriters.com. Yeah, resilientwriters.com is the site. So it'll, by the time this is live, it'll be there, but I'm transitioning from rondadouglas.com to resilientwriters.com. Right. So, yeah. Just as we were talking before, there are so many steps and so many things. There's so many to things. Do. things. Yeah. So many things. So I want to um, stress for people to go to rondadouglas.com. I was talking about this with my other writing group. You have a great blog post on how to enter and possibly win Lit Mag contest, but you have some really great blog posts about writing um, that will really open, I think, people's mind and ideas to short story, but also just, you know, a different part of writing if Mm -hmm. if they're kind of in the grind of indie, of indie novel churning. (laughs) Yeah, there's a whole series I did on entering literary contests, how to 
research them, how to go about entering them. Um, and just also outside of contests, getting published in literary magazines, which is where you you would publish right. the short story. Um, and there's definitely, you know, lots right. of stories of f- folks who got agents through yes. publishing a short story. Yes. Ross McMeekin, who was on the show a few months ago, he got his agent through there. So it's definitely something to think about. It is not a waste of time, as I have been told by a few a few people. Um, no, it opens up the the doors. And like you said, you know, you, it's finding community. It's networking with different people and across the world. But um, I will have the links in the show notes. Great. But thank you so much, Rhonda, for coming on and talking to us about poetry and short stories and the work that you're doing with writers. Thank you so much. This was such a fun conversation. So it's lovely to meet you, Kat, and I hope we'll talk again soon. You're still listening. Since you are, could you do me a favor and head over to the app that you're listening to this episode on and hit the subscribe button and then rate and review the show? It would really help the Pencils Olympic podcast get out into the world. And if you're enjoying the podcast, well, then there might be more people out there who would enjoy it as well. If you want to find out more about me, you can head over to catcaldwell.com. I have my story over there, my books, my interactive journals, my one-on-one coaching information, and information on my creative writing community membership group. If you're looking to write a book or you are a writer and you just want to find out more about how to write, how to publish, how to format, how to market, and all the things that go into being an author these days, check out the membership group. There is a 14 free day trial that you can try it out, get into the masterminds, find out all the goodies that we are talking about in the group. I would love to see you there.